This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue in our studies today in the book of Job, in Job chapter 24, and looking at uh, continuing to look at the response of Job to Eliphaz that he made back in chapter 23. First of all, in Job 24, verses 1 down through verse 24, Job is saying the wicked may prosper and be exempt from visible punishment in this life. First of all, Job wonders why God does not deal with people according to their true character, and that's Job 24, verse 1. He says, Why, seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? What Job is wondering here is why those that know God do not see the days of wrath brought upon the wicked by God in this life. You know, it's not always apparent that the wicked are being punished. When we look at on the outside and it seems like everything seems to be going well and things like that, and but we don't see what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, Job said in Job 24 too <clears throat> that some of these folks remove boundary lines and they steal others' animals. Job 24 too. Some remove landmarks. They violently take away flocks and feed thereof. Kenneth L. Jones on page 256 of the 16th Spiritual, Sex, uh, Spiritual Sword Lectureship book stated this and I quote, Landmarks were pillars or stones used to mark the boundaries of one's land. A form of robbery was to remove these markers farther back on the neighbor's land. Fences were very rare, and the art of surveying was unknown in ancient times. Moving landmarks was a crime of great magnitude, unquote. When these also drove off the flocks of others, and they kept them as their own, and that's what it means they feed thereof. They keep them as their own. In Job 24.3, Job says that some of these evil people take away the means of income of the helpless. Verse 3, chapter 24. They drive away the donkey of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. And you think about the widows and the orphans here. They, they have no power to stop these evil people from taking away their means of life there. And he says the wicked push the needy out of the way. Chapter 24, verse 4. They turn the needy out of the way. The poor of the earth hide themselves together. Uh, the word way here from the Hebrew word derek, uh, Strong's defines as a road as trodden, figuratively a course of life or mode of action. Adam Clark explains the verse this way, and I quote, They crowd the poor out of the path and thus oppress and injure them. 
they do not allow them the advantage of the highway. Driven from the society of the rich without their patronage and friendship, they are obliged to associate together and find in the wicked men neither protector nor friend, and yet the proud oppressor is not punished, unquote. <clears throat> Job doesn't understand why that is and why he is going through so much calamity in his life. Well, Job says in verse 5 of chapter 24, there are those wicked who live a reckless and roaming life, seizing whatever they may find. Job 24, verse 5. Behold, as wild donkeys in the desert go they forth to their work, rising betimes for a prey. The wilderness yieldeth food for them and for their children. In other words, they wander about plundering and marauding as they go. In Job 24, 6, they broke into fields and robbed them. Verse 6, they reap everyone his corn in the field and they gather the vintage of the wicked. <clears throat> so instead of cultivating their own fields, they rob others of their grain and their vintage or their grapes, things such as that. In verse 7 of chapter 24, Job says that these evil people strip others of their clothing and leave them destitute. Verse 7, they cause the naked to lodge without clothing, that they have no covering in the cold. In other words, they leave these poor people exposed to the elements, no clothing, no shelter. <clears throat> and the only shelter that these who are oppressed could find is in the rocks. Verse 8, chapter 24. They are wet with the showers of the mountains and embrace the rock for want of a shelter. So these drivers, or drivers, these robbers, drive them away from their houses and their only shelter from the elements are the protruding rocks that they can get under. And these wicked people are so cruel that they snatch fatherless babies from their mothers to sell them as slaves or to keep them for their own use. Chapter 24, verse 9. They pluck the fatherless from the breast and take the pledge of the poor. Albert Barnes says, quote, Take that, therefore, which is necessary for the comfort of the poor and retain it so that they cannot enjoy its use, unquote. And again, you think about it, Job is thinking about all these wicked people and the things they do, and yet they're not being tortured. They're not suffering. They're not facing the calamities that he is. And he can't understand why these things are going on with him. Now in verse 10 of Job 24, Job says that these hard-hearted people take away the cloth that is used for clothing and they seize the grain as soon as it is harvested. Verse 10 again. 
They cause him to go naked without clothing, and they take away the sheath from the hungry. <clears throat> so these are examples that Job is using to disprove the arguments of his friends that all wicked people are punished in this life. Well, in verse 11, Job says, The wicked make the poor to press olives for oil for them, and tread grapes within their walls without allowing them to quench their thirst. Verse 11, which make oil within their walls and tread their wine presses and suffer thirst. So here they are. Adam Clark says this, and I'll quote him. Thus stripped of all that on which they depended for clothing and food, they are obliged to become vassals to their Lord, labor in the fields on scanty fare or tread their wine presses from the produce of which they are not permitted to quench their thirst, unquote. And then he says, Job, in verse 12 of chapter 24, not only are the poor oppressed in the country, they're also oppressed in the city. Verse 12. Men groan from out of the city, and the soul of the wounded crieth out. Yet God layeth not folly to them. Again, Job doesn't understand. The oppressed cry out in the city. They're crying out in the country as well from what we've already seen. But he says God does not mete out immediate punishment to them that are oppressing those poor people. In verse 13, Job says these kinds of people hate the light because their deeds will be seen in the light, but not in the darkness. Verse 13, they are of those that rebel against the light. They know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the paths thereof. So they hate the light of day because it will expose what they are doing. So this is a new paragraph here that mentions the kind of people that hate the light of day. Now he begins mentioning these various individuals. Verse 14, the murderer kills his victims, he's saying here, when they rise early to go to work and then he steals from others at night. Job 24, 14. The murderer rising with the light killeth the poor and needy and in the night is as a thief. Albert Barnes says this, and I quote, The idea of Job is that though these crimes cannot escape the notice of God, yet that he does not interpose to punish those who committed them. Unquote. And then we see in verse 15, Job says that the adulterer waits for darkness and disguises his face prior to his filthy deed. Verse 15, the eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, saying, No eye shall see me, and disguiseth his face. He's hiding his face so that people don't recognize him in the dark. 
so he can commit the filthy act of adultery. Leave your marker here in Job 24, and let's go to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 23. <clears throat> Shows the outcome and the kind of individual that does adultery. Beginning in verse 6, Proverbs chapter 7. For at the window of my house, I looked through my casement, that's lattice, and beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Passing through the street near her corner, he went the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, so stopping there for a minute kind of refers back to what Job was saying there a while ago in verse 15 of chapter 24. He does it in the twilight. No eye shall see him. So here's this young man, this ignorant young man doing this. Verse 10, <clears throat> Proverbs 7. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot, and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without. <clears throat> now in the streets and lieth in wait at every corner. She caught him and kissed him with an impudent face, said unto him. Impudent meaning stout face. I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. <clears throat> Therefore I came forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, and with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with love. For the goodman is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. He had taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. So right there, you put that in language where it says, I perfume my, uh, my bed with myrrh, I've decked my bed with coverings. Let us commit fornication. Let us commit adultery. Uh, but today people want to call it uh, a fling, a one-night stand to try to make it feel or sound better. It's still a filthy act. Verse 21 of Proverbs 7. With her much fair speech she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not it is for his life. Verse 24. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth, 
Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. It is for his life. The adulterer, a filthy individual who does not obey God. Now, let's go back to Job chapter 24 and look at verse 16. He says, thieves do their work at night. Verse 16 says, and in the dark they dig through houses which they had marked for themselves in the daytime. They know not the light. Well, homes were made out of sun-dried clay, and thieves had to dig a hole in the wall to get into the house, and these thieves had gone along through the daytime and and marked the houses they wanted to rob that night. And then he says in verse 17 of Job 24, These evil people dread the light of day because their deeds of wickedness would be revealed and they would be punished severely by other human beings. Verse 17, for in the morning is to know them even as the shadow of death. If one know them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. They would not commit their evil deeds in the daytime, again, because they might be detected and punished by men. But God knows all this anyway and does not punish them like Job feels that he is being punished by God. Now Job also mentions in verse 18 that river pirates travel the waters to plunder the land. Verse 18. He is swift as the waters. Their portion is cursed in the earth. He beholdeth not the way of the vineyards. Kenneth L. Jones on page 257 of the Spiritual Sword, 16 Spiritual Sword Lectureship book stated this, and I quote, It may describe yet another group of robbers who traveled in light boats from some island or on a lake or river to plunder neighboring lands. This rendered the land cursed or useless to its owners and discourage them from even planting or maintaining their vineyards, unquote. In verse 19 of chapter 24, Job says, The wicked will be consumed in the grave, just as snow waters are consumed by drought and heat. Verse 19, Drought and heat consume the snow waters, so doth the grave those which have sinned. So Job is saying that death overtakes the wicked man just as it does other men. There is nothing violent or unusual in this wicked person's death. Their death is as snow waters that quietly and gently fade away in the heat. In verse 20, 
Job says, The wicked will rot and be forgotten by everyone but the worm that devours his carcass. Job 24.20 The womb shall forget him. The worm shall feed sweetly on him. He shall be no more remembered, and wickedness shall be broken as a tree. So Job says, these people are wicked, yet there is no evidence of divine displeasure for their actions in this life like Job is going through. And see, that's why he, he's confused about all this. He's gone through losing his family, losing his wealth, losing his health, and he doesn't understand why he looks around and he sees all these wicked people and there's nothing happening to them like it's happening to him. Well, in verses 21 and 22, the wicked Job speaks of are so bad that they added harm to the barren and widows and to the mighty. Job 24, 21, and 22. It says, He evil entreateth the barren that beareth not, and doeth not good to the widow. He draweth also the mighty man with his power. He riseth up, and no man is sure of his life. So Kenneth L. Jones, quoting him from page 258, says, However, quote, however, they did not confine acts of cruelty and oppressions to the poor and defenseless. They spared none, even the great and mighty, unquote. So even the great and mighty have no security of life from these evil men. They were evil and wicked in their actions toward all. And yet, in verse 23, Job says, The wicked rest in security, but God sees what they're doing. Verse 23, Though it be given him to be in safety whereon he resteth, yet his eyes are upon their ways. So Job understands that God sees the way of the wicked, and he doesn't understand why he is being punished so severely, being innocent, and the wicked seem to have life so easy. Well, Job knows the prosperity of the wicked is temporary, verse 24. They are exalted for a little while, but are gone and brought low. They are taken out of the way as all other and cut off as the tops of the ears of corn. So Job observes that the wicked will be brought down, but not always in this life. Death would come to them, as it does to all, but only after they had been exalted and lived a good long life as corn ready to be harvested. And then in verse 24, Job makes a challenge to his three friends. 
uh, excuse me, verse 25, he makes the challenge to his three friends. And if it be not so now, who will make me a liar and make my speech nothing worth? In other words, you disprove what I just said. Kenneth L. Jones on page 258-259 of the 16th Spiritual Sword Lecture stated this, and I quote, He had maintained his integrity by showing that the wicked are not always punished for their crimes, but often prosper, live to an old age, and enjoy peaceful death. His arguments were convincing and decisive. His friends could not answer even though Bildad made a brief statement about the greatness of God, Job had overthrown their argument, unquote. Now, when we come to chapter 25, Bildad is going to speak again. And Wayne Jackson, on, in his book, the book of Job, on page 60, stated this, and I quote, a casual glance of Bildad's final speech reveals that here is a debater whose zeal for the controversy has diminished considerably. He retires from this encounter with almost a whimper, arguing for the majesty of God versus the puny insignificance of man. He apparently hopes to demolish Job's claim that if he were allowed to appear, appear before God in judgment, he would be vindicated, unquote. So this is the last attack on Job. Eliphaz and Zophar must have felt defeated, but they were not humble enough to admit it. Bildad speaks a lot of truth here in what he's saying. But what he's saying has nothing at all to do with Job. So first of all, Bildad speaks of the gloriousness of God and man's insignificance. Job 25, 1-6. First of all, he is, Bildad is saying here that God is the absolute ruler of both the spiritual and and the physical worlds. Job 25, 1 and 2. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. All right, dominion there. The word dominion from the Hebrew word mashal. Brown Driver Briggs says the word means to rule, have dominion, or reign. It says dominion and fear or with him, the word fear there, pachad, or pachad, meaning terror or dread. And he says, he maketh peace in his high places. The word peace there, the Hebrew word shalom, uh, Strong's definition of that word, safe, that is figuratively well, happy, friendly, also abstractly welfare, that is health, prosperity, and peace. So what he's saying is the fear of God is a, all the host of heaven. By his authority, he establishes and preserves order in the heavens. That's the high 
places there mentioned in verse 2. In Job 25, 3, he says God's forces are innumerable and his sun shines on everyone. 25.3 Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? Well, armies here probably refers to angelic beings. And he says God's sun shines on everyone. That's physical beings. So God is in control of the spiritual beings and the physical beings. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus says there that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So God's sun shines on everyone there. V.E. Howard, in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectures on page 69, stated this, and I quote, Our eternal God is not only omnipotent, he is omniscient. He is omnifarious, all-powerful, all-knowledge, infinite in understanding, providing all things at once, all kinds, varieties, forms, and species. He is God, unquote. God provides for all. And then Albert Barnes, or excuse me, excuse me, we're going to look at verse 4 first. So he here says, Bildad says, Job, how can you be justified before God? Verse 4, chapter 25. <clears throat> how then can man be justified with God, or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Albert Barnes, now quoting him, said, Instead of meeting the facts to which Job had appealed, all that Bilcat Bildad could now do was to repeat what had been said before. It shows that he felt himself unable to dispose of the argument, and yet that he was not willing to confess that he was vanquished, unquote. So Bildad gave no answer as to how man could be justified before God. Today, we know the answer. Again, keep your marker here in Job 25, and let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. It says, There being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus is the only way that we can be justified. Justified, a good definition of justified is just as if I'd never sinned. We can be made just as if we had never sinned through Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 1. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So our faith also is part of what causes us to be justified through Jesus Christ by God. Verse 9 of Romans chapter 5. Much more than being justified, now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So it is the shed blood of Christ that justifies us through our faith in justifying us, and by God's grace, he sent Christ to shed his blood so that we have the opportunity to be justified. And then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. You go back and look at the list there, verse 9. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, looking there at homosexuality nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you. You were practicing these sinful activities. But he says, but you're washed. How are we washed? Rome, excuse me, Acts 22:16. And now why tarest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We're washed in baptism by contacting the blood of Christ, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We're justified in the name of, by the authority of Jesus Christ. So we know how that man can be justified before God. Through his grace, he sent his son to shed his blood to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins that we through faith and obedience to the gospel in baptism obtain that justification that God gives us. Now, let's go back to Job chapter 25. See Bildad's next statement there in verse 5. He says, The brightness of the moon and stars pale compared to God's glory. Verse 5, chapter 25. Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. So Bildad is comparing man to the brightness of the moon and stars as compared to the majesty of God. Bildad is saying, compared to the moon and stars, the brightness of man is nothing. And then compared to God, the brightness of the moon and stars are, is nothing. So Job, how can you being nothing be justified before God? Well, 
Bildad concludes that the brightness of man is better compared to a worm. Verse 6. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm. The psalmist, or excuse me, Bildad represents man as insignificant compared to God. Well, you know, the psalmist wondered the very same thing. Go leave your marker here again. We're going to be starting verse chapter 26. But go to Psalm 8. Look at verses 3 through 5. Psalm 8. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. The psalmist here declared, When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and a son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. So we're looking at the same thought brought two different ways. Now concerning Job 25, 6, Again, which reads, how much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm. Albert Barnes says this, and I quote, Here it means that man is poor, feeble, powerless. In comparison with God, he is as a crawling worm. All that is said in this chapter is true and beautiful, but has nothing to do with the subject in debate. Bildad spoke the truth, in other words, oh, that unquote back there. Bildad spoke the truth, but what he said did not fit the situation. Uh, Leon Barnes in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectures on page 282 stated this, and I quote, It was like speaking of the evils of rock music in a nursing home. It just did not fit the problem. Job is struggling with pain, bewilderment, and grief, a lecture on the righteousness of God, was not needed at this point, unquote. Now, let's look at Job's reaction. First of all, we're going to be in chapter 26. In verses 1 through 4, Job declares that Bildad's help and counsel have been worthless. He said, Bildad, you made a nice little speech. But what did it help? Chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. But Job answered and said, How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? In other words, Bill, you, Bill that you, you came to mourn with me and comforted me, but you have failed miserably. You failed to help me or aid me in any way. And then he says, verse 3, Bildad, you have not given good advice or wise plans. Job 26, 3. How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? You know, you haven't said anything new. You haven't said anything that helped. 
any of the real difficulties that I am experiencing is what he's saying there. In verse 4, Job says, Bildad, you're not teaching me anything about God that I didn't already know. Job 26, 4. To whom hast thou uttered words, and whose spirit came from thee? Job suggests that whatever spirit Bildad was speaking from, it wasn't the spirit of God, because in Bildad's arguments and Eliphaz's arguments and Zophar's arguments, there were falsehoods that were found. That's not going to come from God. Well, now Job is going to change uh, his, his, his subject here in chapter 26, verses 5 through 14. Bildad gave a limited exaltation of God. Job goes beyond in declaring the majesty of God. Albert Barnes says concerning this area of passage here, quote, Job here commences his description of God to show that his views of his majesty and glory were in no way inferior to those which had been expressed by Bildad and that what Bildad said had conveyed to him no real information, unquote. Well, <clears throat> First of all, Bildad mentioned God's power and influence were among the living, but Job points out that God's power and influence go beyond this world, Job 6, 5, and 6. He said, dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. All right, first of all, dead things are formed. The word formed from the Hebrew word chul. Brown Driver Briggs says that means to twist, whirl, dance, writhe, fear, tremble, travail, be in anguish, be pained. All right, now, the literal translation puts verses 5 and 6 this way. The departed spirits are made to writhe from beneath the waters, and their inhabitants, Sheol, is naked before him, and the pit has no covering. So what Job is saying here is, God sees all and knows all, both the living and the dead. And the little phrase there, beneath the waters, refers to the realm of unseen spirits, uh, Hades, that we understand it by today. So he's saying God knows the living that are still physically alive on earth, and he knows the dead that are spiritually alive in Hades, whether they are in paradise or Abraham's bosom or in torment. God knows them all. And then in verses 7 and 8, Job speaks of God's control over the creation and its wonders. Job 26, 7 and 8. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. 
he bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. So what is he saying here? The sky and the earth both hang free without any support in space. And God does that. God stretched out the heaven and supports the earth by his power. The clouds, though they hold much water, are not rent in two. You know, I want to look briefly here, keep your marker here in Job 26. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The verse says of Jesus Christ, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right on the right hand of the majesty on high. But Jesus, is it one speaking about here, upholds all things by the word of his power. The sky and the earth hang free by the word of his power. Colin Delich, here again speaking of Job 26, 7 and 8, said this, and I quote, the clouds consist of masses of water rolled together, which if they were suddenly set free would deluge the ground. But the omnipotence of God holds the waters together in the hollow of the clouds. Think about the holding, the evaporation. The evaporation that takes place. But in verse 9 of Job 26, Job says both God and his throne are invisible to human eyes. Job 26, 9. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. So right there, the psalmist mentions that clouds and darkness are being or as being around God. And that is Psalm 18, verse 11. Psalm 18, verse 11. He made darkness his secret place, his pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the sky. John Gill stated this about Job 26, 9, and I quote, Even the light in which he dwells and with which he clothes himself is impervious to us and is so dazzling that itself covers and keeps back himself and thrown from being seen by mortals, unquote. And then in Job 26.10, Job says that God set the bounds of the waters that they will not again overflow the earth as long as the earth stands, Job 26.10. He hath compassed the waters with bounds, until the day and night come to an end. You think about it, God, what he's saying here is God set the borders for the waters. Look at Psalm 104, now, verses 5 through 9. Psalm 104, 5 through 9. It says, Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? 
Thou coverest it with the deep as with the garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. Not going to be another Noahic flood. The waters, where do the waters go? God made a place for them. He brought the dry land forth. That would be Genesis 1. But also in Genesis chapter 7, 8, and 9 there, God, after the flood, where do the waters go? They're still here. God made a place for them. In Job 26, 11, God, uh, Job says the creation trembles at God's presence. Job 26, 11, the pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. You know, this is a poetical description either of thunder or earthquake. The scripture mentions the creation's actions under the rebuke of God. Again, back to the Psalms. Look at Psalm 29, verses 3 through 8. Psalm 29, verses 3 through 8. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian, like a young unicorn or wild ox. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. And then look at Psalm 104, verse 32. Psalm 104, verse 32. It says, He looketh on the earth, and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills, and they smoke. In Habakkuk, look at chapter 3, verse 10. Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 10. It says there, the mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. And then Nahum 1.5. Nahum 1.5. There we go. It says, the mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence, yea, the world and all that dwell therein. In Job 26, 12, Job says that God controls the sea. He divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smiteth the proud. You think about it, God parted the Red Sea, Exodus 14, 21 and 22. Jesus calmed the Sea of Galilee, 
Mark 4, 36-41. Jesus walked on the water of the Sea of Galilee, Matthew 14, 25. And then on that part where it talks about the proud there, smited through the proud, Albert Barnes says, quote, the pride of the sea. The ocean is represented as enraged and is lifted up with pride and rebellion. God scourges it, rebukes it, and makes it calm. And then verse 13, Job 26, By his spirit hath he garnished the heavens with his hand, hath formed the crooked serpent. Garnish there means the making of them beautiful and pleasant to the eyes. That's Wilson's Old Testament word studies. The literal translation says, By his spirits the heavens were beautiful. His hand pierced the fleeg snake. The crooked or fleeing snake there is defined this way by Strong's. A fugitive, that is, the serpent as fleeing and the constellation by that name. Albert Barnes says there can be no doubt that Job refers here to one of the constellations, which seems was then known as the serpent or dragon. The practice of forming pictures of the heavens with a somewhat fanciful resemblance to animals was one of the most early devices of astronomy and was evidently known in the time of Job. And then verse 14 Job says that what he has mentioned are just a fraction of God's power. 26.14 Lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? With all the advances we have in science, we still only see a fraction of God's wondrous works in our universe. Adam Clark says this, and I quote, As the thunder is to a whisper, so are the tremendous and infinitely varied works of God to the faint outlines exhibited in the above discourse. Unquote. You know, Bildad really had no answer for Job's arguments in his previous speech. <coughs> he just talked about the majesty of God which had nothing to do with what Job was going through. Job told Bill that his speech was useless because it had nothing to do with his situation. Job then greatly expands on what Bildad said about the majesty of God. And Job is going to continue his speech through chapter 31. So Lord willing, we'll begin there with chapter 27 next time. But again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We thank you for listening.